Hello, I'm Dr Eva Davis and this is the Challenge of Behaviour Change podcast. It's episode 5 and today I'm talking about alcohol with Dr Parvati Perman-Howe. Parvati completed her PhD at Oxford Brookes and she's now working at King's College London. Parvati's PhD study was really novel. She was interested in exploring whether reducing the strength of alcohol products would be a useful strategy for reducing the amount that people drink. As Parvati explains, she conducted a pilot trial and she tells us the difference between a pilot trial and a full trial. And she also talks about how that kind of all worked in her study, which was conducted in licensed premises. So essentially, she spent a lot of the time in her PhD in pubs and bars. And that was quite complicated in terms of working with different people and recruiting as well. Parvati talks about her outcome measures as well as blinding, randomization, and recruitment. So lots of really important issues when we're thinking about trial design. Hi, I'm Parvati Permanhau. I'm a research associate at King's College London and the Spectrum Consortium. So the Spectrum Consortium is a group comprising 10 UK universities, charities, companies and the main public health agencies in Great Britain. So for instance, Public Health England. And we study the commercial determinants of health. And by this, I mean smoking, alcohol and unhealthy foods. And we also study health inequalities and the prevention of non-communicable diseases. So ultimately, we're trying to influence uh, policy. Personally, I'm interested in alcohol and smoking research, particularly looking at how we can change our environments to enable healthier choices. So one thing you're interested in is changing people's alcohol consumption. Can you tell me why changing behaviour is so difficult in this area? Um, So human behaviour is very complex and we don't fully understand why people drink alcohol, Um, why some people drink more alcohol than others um, and why some people become addicted to alcohol whilst other people don't and also how social and environmental factors influence drinking behaviours. So it's very hard to change something that is multifactorial especially when we don't fully understand all of these factors. Why do you think that's the case for alcohol in particular if people are thinking about their own drinking? Why is that tricky? Um, I think people are potentially not aware of their own drinking. Um, They're not fully conscious of their alcohol consumption and their behaviour around alcohol consumption. So one thing um, in terms of being conscious about drinking is sometimes we don't know the amount of alcohol in the drinks that we're consuming. And I've discussed with the students about the... um, challenge of knowing what an alcohol unit is and all of that Um, and you recently completed your PhD kind of in this area so can you tell us a little bit about your study and the aims and the methods and and what you found? Yes so the study I undertook for my PhD um, was a randomised controlled pilot trial to look at the effect of alcohol strength on alcohol consumption So because this was a pilot trial, the main aim wasn't to test how effective the intervention was. So I wasn't primarily looking at the effect of reducing the strength of alcohol on the amount of alcohol consumed. That would be the primary aim of a main trial, 
which will come after a pilot trial. So the main aim of pilot trials in general is to test how feasible a main trial would be. So basically you run a small version of the trial with fewer participants to see whether the processes work. For example, you might want to know if you can recruit enough participants. Um, you might want to know whether you can retain enough participants throughout the trial and for the follow-up. You might want to know if your data collection tools, so such as a questionnaire, give you the right information, um, or whether you have enough members on your research team to carry out the trial efficiently. So the main aim of the pilot trial I ran as part of my PhD was to test the feasibility of a randomised controlled trial to assess the effect of alcohol strength on alcohol consumption within licensed premises in the UK. So what I did basically was, um, well it wasn't basically, it was quite complicated, um, but I recruited some licensed premises, so I recruited four licensed premises in total. And in each licensed premises, I ran four study sessions. So for four evenings, I went into each of these uh, pubs or bars and I recruited participants to come in on two separate occasions. So they came in once um, and were put under the intervention conditions and they came in the second time and were put under the control conditions or vice versa, we randomised the order in which participants received the intervention and the control. Um, the intervention was um, a reduced strength lager, so I used Bud Light Lager, which is 3.5% alcohol by volume. And the control condition was that participants would drink a regular strength lager, so that was Bex Lager, which is 4.8% alcohol by volume. And participants could purchase and drink um, as much or as little of the intervention on the controlled product as they wished within their study sessions. So basically, I set up a makeshift bar area within each of the pubs. Participants would come in to begin their study session. I'd breathalyze them to check that they were under the drink drive limit. If they were, then we'd go through the, con the consent process. So I only allowed participants to consent to take part in the trial if they weren't already intoxicated as that could impair their judgment and therefore the consent they um, gave wouldn't be fully informed. And, um, and then participants were asked to act as they normally would whilst in the study venue, but rather than buying their alcohol from the normal bar, they would come and buy their alcohol from me. And I sold them either, as I said, um, the intervention product or the control product. And they had to they had to buy and drink only that product throughout their study session. So throughout that evening in the bar. So we sold the participants um, the intervention and the control product, but we sold it so that each pint was cheaper than a, a pint that was normally sold within the bar. And this was to incentivize participants to take part in the trial, because obviously they didn't know what they were drinking. We blinded participants to the alcohol they were consuming. Um, I literally wrapped cans of lager in duct tape and we poured um, the lager from the cans into a pint glass so that a full pint was served, but the participants didn't know which brand of lager they were drinking. So we didn't expect participants to pay what they would normally pay for a pint, bearing in mind they didn't know what they were drinking. So as I said, participants could drink ad libitum, 
which meant they could drink as little or as much of um, the alcohol as they wanted throughout the study session. And when they decided they wanted to leave the venue and go home, they would um, complete a questionnaire which would ask them about their experiences during the study session. I'd give them a final breathalyzer test um, to check what their breath alcohol concentrations were, um, and then they would be um, discharged from the venue. Then, as I said earlier, they would be asked to return to the venue on another evening. Okay, so can you tell us a little bit then why it was important to use this crossover design in this particular study and not have some people in the control condition and some other people in the intervention condition? Why did everybody have to take part in both arms of the trial? So one of the benefits of a crossover design is that it eliminates between participant variability. So this means that differences between people's drinking behaviours didn't influence the results of the study. Great, okay. So can you tell us then a little bit about what you found? So I found that it is feasible to run a main randomised control trial to assess the effect of alcohol spent on alcohol consumption because overall the pilot trial went as planned um, and there were no adverse incidents. So the main trial could be improved by changing some of the study processes. So, for example, the questionnaires that participants completed at the end of their study sessions suggested that people didn't enjoy drinking the reduced strength beer as much as they enjoyed drinking the regular strength beer. So before a main trial, I'd want to do some scoping work to find a reduced strength beer and a regular strength beer that people found equally enjoyable. So ultimately, in a main trial, um, I would change the brands of beer that I use as the intervention and control products. Why do you think people didn't enjoy it so much? This is quite complicated to unpick. Um, and I've had quite a few discussions um, with other researchers in the field about why participants may not have enjoyed um, the reduced strength beer as much as the regular strength beer. And when we look at the totality of the data, we also found that participants felt notably more intoxicated when they'd consumed the regular strength beer compared to the reduced strength beer. So one of the conclusions we've drawn is that perhaps intoxication is linked to enjoyment. So if participants felt less intoxicated when they, when they drank the reduced strength beer, they would therefore say they had um, a less enjoyable time drinking the beer. That, that's just one explanation. There could be myriad other explanations, um, and that would probably involve some extra scoping work to try and unpick this idea of enjoyment and what participants feel the word enjoyment means to them. Yeah, that's interesting. That's going to definitely mean different things to different people, particularly when it comes to alcohol. Um, and I think what you said there about enjoyment really highlights the importance of carrying out a pilot trial before you carry out a main trial, doesn't it? Were there any other things that um, you would need to change or um, adapt in a, in a full trial? And I know that recruitment was quite difficult for you in this particular project. Are there any other things related to that that might need to change? Yes, so recruitment um, was quite slow in regards to recruiting the, the pubs, the licensed premises in which to run the trial. So we had kind of two levels of recruitment. Firstly, we had to recruit um, the licensed premises to take part in the study. And then through the licensed premises, we had to recruit the participants. 
we only managed to recruit four licensed premises within about um, 18 months. So on average, it was it was very slow um, recruitment. But that's because we tried to recruit pubs um, consecutively rather than simultaneously. We did this because we wanted to be able to iron out any creases, any problems that may have occurred um, when we recruited and then ran um, the study sessions within each venue. So in a main trial, we looked to recruit study premises simultaneously, which would obviously reduce the, the amount of time that the study would need um, overall to be completed. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question now that you might not want to answer, but um, obviously you've explained to us then that the purpose of your pilot trial was really to look at the feasibility of the study and the feasibility of the processes, yeah. but could you give us a little bit of an indication about the the in the initial results, I mean, did people drink less when they were drinking lower strength lager or did they drink more to kind of keep up with the fact that they weren't feeling as, as intoxicated as they want to be? What, do you, what can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So I guess that's the kind of the, the headline, the headline data. Um, as I said earlier, the main aim of a, of a pilot trial is to look at the feasibility of running a main trial. So we found that people consume 31% fewer units of alcohol when they consumed the reduced strength beer. Um, and they also consumed a similar number of pints between study conditions. So this indicates that people potentially drink a certain number of pints when they go to a pub. But because each of those pints of reduced strength beer contains fewer units of alcohol, if they were to just drink a reduced strength beer across a drinking session, they would drink less alcohol. So this kind of ties into the idea of alcohol consumption being quite a habitual behaviour where people may drink, say, four pints every time they go out. And therefore, by reducing the strength of the alcohol within those four pints, people will drink fewer units of alcohol each time they, they go out drinking. Yeah, and I know that you need to test this in the full trial before we know uh, definitive answers to that question, but thank you for, for letting us know those results. And of course, I'm interested in uh, in you doing this study on wine as well. Um, yeah, <laughs> so I'm <laughs> Um, okay, so it's a really, it's quite actually quite a complex study, and the students will have the opportunity to read um, read the protocol, which I think will will um, give them an idea of uh, some of the complexities of running this kind of study. But what do you think was you sort of um, finished the conversation by telling us kind of what you learned really? What's the main thing that you learned about uh, anything about the design or even the behaviour by working on this project? And of course, some students have picked alcohol as their topic so have you got any um advice for them uh yeah sure i mean i think um it's very it's very difficult to pick kind of one or two things that i've, I've really learned because the whole three years of, of my phd was a big big learning curve um and it was very enjoyable too um but i guess I learned a lot about research methodology and the importance of applying, applying a methodology correctly. Um, so by this, I'm referring to the fact that a lot of researchers who carry out pilot trials do so incorrectly. So as I've mentioned quite a few times now in this podcast, 
the main aim of a pilot trial should be to assess the feasibility of a main trial, but a lot of researchers still report the effectiveness of an intervention as their main finding. Um, so I learned a lot about really how you should apply the pilot trial methodology correctly. So you, you, there were some practical things that you learned about working in the real world. So you've actually done a, done this pilot trial out, out in pubs and bars and, and that had some challenges as well, didn't it? Yeah, I think um, it's always interesting working directly with humans because humans are so <laughs> unpredictable. Um, humans can be very amusing, they can be very frustrating to work with, um, but they are very unpredictable. So what you expect to happen and what you expect them to say and do is not always the case. Um, but yeah, it certainly led to some um, some challenging, some interesting and some very fun conversations and experiences. Excellent. I think that's important to remember, isn't it? That no matter how much we plan and you were very, very meticulous in your planning, we can't anticipate every single thing that's going to happen. Um, so, no, yeah, well, especially not when people have had a few beers. And, um... <laughs> <laughs> it's an extra level, isn't it? Exactly. Okay. That's really, really, really useful and really interesting. Is there anything else you want to say before I let you get on with the rest of your day? I'll just say that if you want to pick alcohol as a topic for your own behaviour change intervention, I suggest to read some key journal articles from the more renowned authors in the field. So Theresa Marteau at Cambridge, I always signpost people to her work. Matt Field at Sheffield, he was... Um, previously at Liverpool University and they did a lot of, um, of work, particularly looking at how the size of the drinking vessel affects how much people drink. Um, that was a very interesting study by him and his team at, at Liverpool. I would say learn and apply the COMB model. So again, read the work by Susan Mickey and Robert West. I'm sure you've already already done that and Emma's probably briefed you on that. But um, um, some of that Mickey and West work is, is really important in this field. Um, and finally, design an intervention that you believe in. So get behind your intervention and really support it. And then you'll find it um, a lot more enjoyable to design and, um, and work on an intervention and deliver. So lots of really interesting stuff there from Parvati and some good advice, particularly about working with humans. Expect the unexpected. So yes, we certainly had a lot of interesting chats with Parvati after she came back from running her study in the pub, as you can imagine, uh, working with people and uh, serving the drinks and then trying to collect all the data, quite a, a, a difficult undertaking. But hopefully we will be able to um, work together in the future on another trial, a bigger study. And as I said in the interview, maybe we'll include some wine as well, because that was one of the things that was the originally thought about at the start of her PhD. But it was already quite complicated with with them um, the lager so we didn't we didn't also do the wine but um I'm definitely going to keep convincing her on that topic um as you also pointed us towards some really useful resources so the work of Teresa Marteau and colleagues at Cambridge the work of Matt Field 
she also talked about this idea of looking at the differences in container sizes so the size and the shape of glasses and how that impacts on our drinking behavior so that's really interesting too i do recommend those studies they're very very fascinating and the final bit of advice was design an intervention you believe in i think that's really interesting reflection yeah you've definitely got to be believing what you're doing believe in the evidence behind your intervention do the research, make sure you have a strong case for what you're doing and make sure that you would find it interesting and engaging to take part in if someone came up to you and asked you to participate in a study because if you wouldn't find it interesting then there's really no reason why somebody else would as well. So I hope you found that episode interesting, there's lots of advice there, lots of food for thought about design, measurement and outcomes. And I hope you've got some ideas now about how to think about your trials and the outcome measures that are going to be most appropriate for you.